You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. God asks only two things of us. It's actually wild to consider just how simple the Christian faith is at its very root, at its core. But that is the case. All we must do is love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now that's, despite its simplicity, that's obviously no easy task. You know, it might be slightly easier if God were to say to us, all you must do for eternal life is get to Mars. And, you know, although that's an extremely difficult thing, it's no it's manageable. You know, we need to put a, some serious resources toward it or get some competent engineers on the project, begin the work, and eventually we would accomplish that task and we would know we accomplished it. Yet when we ask God what the most important law is, what is eternal life, and he says love God and neighbor, it seems both too simple and impossible. You know, how am I ever supposed to know if I'm accomplishing those commands? What's the measure? Well, I think initially it's, it only takes a simple examination to think whether or not I know God, whether I have a friendship with him. That's a pretty easy thing to figure out. If we don't know him, we can't love him. We can't love someone we don't know. Yet even if I know and love God, how do I know if I love him with my whole mind, my whole heart, my whole soul. Teresa Avila gives some really practical advice on this. She says that we ought to let the second command give insight to the first, inform the first. We can't be certain of our love of God. Not in this world. But we can with a quick examination, figure out whether we really love our neighbor as ourselves. That's, that's pretty clear. And John is very clear in his first letter. He says, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And it's actually incredible when we consider this for real, that Jesus actually makes this the measure of our judgment. And when Jesus speaks to the final judgment, he tells us simply that whatever we do for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the poor, the imprisoned, we do for him. Whatever we don't do for them, we do not do for him. So our love of God is not real unless it manifests in concrete actions to our brothers and sisters. So today I want to speak to a particular issue that is so foundational and important in our love of neighbor. And it's a little bit difficult to talk about because it's divisive and, and uncomfortable for us in America today, probably everywhere in the world. And the issue is the protection of the unborn, the issue of abortion. And my goal is not to condemn or rile anybody up, but to ask really for us why 
why this issue exists in the world. And I, I'll get to what I mean by that. So I want to look at a recent study that I found really insightful uh, in this area. It was a meta-study, so it's bringing a bunch of different studies that have been done together. And then I want to bring it back to the Christian context for us uh, with a challenge. And I want to speak first to the numbers, not because the numbers decide the issue. We all know that in the topic like this, the numbers don't decide for people. But I think it speaks to why the two sides are so, so divided, so deeply divided, speaking past each other and why it's so vitriolic. So the study, the first question of the study is, of course, what would make sense, you know, where, where does life begin? And 82% of people, whether pro-life or pro-choice, they agree that that's the most important question. And even a greater number, 93%, said that wherever life does begin, that's where it ought to be protected by law. So almost everyone agrees on that. Now, where, where they thought it began, you know, is obviously divided, as, as is the case in America today. So then the question was, who... Who knows? You know, who, who ought we to ask? How do we find out the answer to that question? And everybody agreed that the professionals in that area, biologists, are the ones who know. So they went and talked to over 5,500 you know, teachers at universities and postdocs and professors in biology. And they found that although amongst this group uh, a slight majority were non, non-religious and even more than that, identified as liberal on this topic, 68% of them wrote that life begins at fertilization. So right at the very beginning, uh, over two-thirds. So that's, that number's not new. That's a, that's a pretty common number to find in studies. And this was made all the more interesting by another question that was raised in the study, which was, the participants were presented with various scenarios that, in which the conduct toward a pregnant woman would result in the death of the child in the womb. And, you know, for physical attack or capital punishment or negligent medical treatment or drunk driving. And so 87% of those who identified as pro-choice said that that would be an unjustifiable homicide if that were to happen. So there's an interesting, what seems to be an inconsistency, and what's the, how does that come about? How does someone who's, who identifies as pro-choice say those two things, you know, that despite the numbers of biologists who say that this begins, life begins at fertilization, and despite the fact that they personally believe that it's homicide to take the life of a child in the womb against the mother's choice. How does this come about? And so the study found that these views exist because taking a pro-life stance inconsistent with his or her peers would, and this is a quote from the study, rupture bonds on which they depend heavily for emotional and material well-being. Under these conditions, they will predictably use their reasoning not to discern the truth, but to form 
and persist in beliefs characteristic of their group. So I think that tells us that our conversation needs to change. Because it's not what we think it is. People have deep insecurities. All of us have deep insecurities. And they always have and they always will. And this, especially this, is not an intellectual battle. It's a battle of the heart. And if the church and the pro-life movement were the obvious choice for those who want to take the road of empathy and mercy, then this wouldn't even be a conversation. In the, so we speak of women making the heroic choice of keeping their child. And it is heroic because they're moving forward in a, into a totally unknown world for them. And they're most likely doing it poor and alone. And everyone knows that having a child is terrifying even when you have a spouse and a stable home and a job. So of course it's terrifying when you have none of those. So if we are going to win the battle for the protection of the unborn, which is the most important and fundamental of issues, we have to step forward heroically in order that women don't have to be so heroic when they step forward. Those who find themselves poor and alone can do so, can have a child without the worry that they have currently. In 250 AD, if you were a widow in Rome, you had to marry again within the year or your property and money would go to the state because women couldn't be sole proprietors. And the church in Rome was, of course, against this. And because they stood against women having to sort of be forced to remarry, they fully supported and permanently supported 1,200 widows. 1,200 widows were supported just by the church in Rome. So what if we could say to every woman who was tempted to have an abortion, there's no need for this, your rent will be taken care of, indefinitely, as long as you need it. We have a group of vetted and trustworthy women who can, do, who can provide daycare for you as long as you need it, for free. We'll bring you home-cooked meals every night if you need home-cooked meals every night. We'll provide scholarships for Catholic schooling. We'll give you a financial advisor so you can begin to save, even if, you're, even if things are tight. We have doctors and dentists who will do pro bono work for you when you need medical care. When something akin to this becomes a reality, that's when the social pressure will hopefully shift to the opposite side. And the the pro-life stance will be the obvious road of mercy and empathy. Until then, We as Christians actually just have to be ready to be looked at as foolish. We're moving in that direction. There's so much good happening. But for now, the social pressure is the opposite direction, and the culture is the opposite direction. But Christianity has always demanded a willingness to 
look foolish in front of people who matter. And that's okay. The cross has always been a stumbling block and foolishness in the world. But I think it is time for us to look at what those who choose to keep their child sacrifice, which is, you know, possibly their future dreams, certainly their financial security. Are we willing to sacrifice the same? I think we ought to be willing to do that. And our first reading says, it's a hard reading. You shall not wrong the widow and the orphan. If you do, they will cry out, and I will surely hear their cry. I think the action items in this homily first fall on me. It's actually been during this 40 days for life that I've been thinking a lot about this and uh, during this, you know, month for life, how, how much I've realized that I'm, uh, in particular on this topic, a sort of miserable hypocrite. And in the church, we have to lead the way on this. We cannot, well, we, we can never trust, I guess, in the state for anything, but certainly not in this. This is, this is for us our battle. And if we want to win it, we have to be the leaders in it. We have to be willing to step forward today. You know, a couple weeks ago I spoke on the fact that if, you, if you're not willing to make a change in your life today, don't ever expect to be willing to make that change. So, we make the change today. And we move forward in the church as leaders on this. That we might change the course of this conversation and bear fruit. Thank you for listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies. To support the work of Mountain Catholic, please visit paypal.me slash mtncatholic.